Welcome in, everybody, to Betting Pros. It's time to place your bets. It is me, Joey P, Joe Pizapia, and this, of course, is the Saturday NFL Wild Card Preview Show, and we're always brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Download that BetMGM app right now and get your wagering on. And today, to help me break down the Saturday games, Matthew Friedman, our own head of content, our man about town, always looking to make things better. And of course, one of my favorite people in the industry, you know him from his work at Number Fire and at FanDuel, Jim Sanis, everybody. You can follow him on the Twitter machine at Jim Sanis. And gentlemen, we've got a pretty good Saturday slate of football here. The wild card slate kicks off on Saturday afternoon. NFC West showdown between the second seeded 49ers, nine and a half point favorites. That number's moved from 10 to nine and a half against the Seattle Seahawks, the seventh seed. And then the later game, the night game, you're going to get the fourth seed of the Jaguars, who are now two-and-a-half-point underdogs at home, hosting the Chargers, first playoff game ever for Trevor Lawrence and for Justin Herbert. So exciting times, some fresh blood in the playoffs in the NFL. Before we get into these games and break them down, Jim, a little bit of line movement in both of these games in the last 24 hours. Before we dig into them individually, what does that tell you? Uh, it tells me people are higher than on Seattle than I thought they'd be. I kind of thought this is one that would hang steady at 10. Um, and it is back at 10 at FanDuel Sportsbook, at least. It's minus 118 on that 10, though. So it's basically nine and a half there. It got to nine and a half very briefly, then snapped back to 10, which says to me, it's probably going to stay where it is right now. I think the more interesting thing here is the money line. It was about 420 this morning now it's 385 so you're actually getting a bit of interest in seattle which i don't think is wrong i think that this is a pretty this is a pretty decent number for them i've got seattle's win odds at 22.4 percent, so pretty in line with the market a little bit above um so i actually think the move towards 385 is fair um so I think that's fair. As far as the Jags Chargers game goes, I think it's hopefully the market getting things right because I took the Jags money line when it was plus 104. So seeing it at minus 104 right now, I'm like, okay, um, tentative <laughs> optimism um, is the way I want to say it. Um, I like that. I, like I think the Jags at. are really fun in this game. I think that game's going to be a blast regardless of whether I win my bet. So I feel pretty interested by the movement so far. And I think given that that's where my numbers are for both the Jags and the Seahawks, I think that is actually I'm just confirmation bias. I don't know. It feels good to see some slight <laughs> movement that direction. Look, if there's anything we all love, it's a little confirmation bias right. now. And again, we're allowed to feel good about things. Friedman, uh, you know, some people might say that, well, half point here, there doesn't make a difference, but that's not the case, especially when you work with some of the models that I know you work with. So what are your thoughts here about this line movement in each of these games before we dive a little deeper into the money lines and into the numbers? Yeah, especially at this point in the season, once we have, uh, a, you know, 16, 17 games worth of data, uh, a half point means much more than I think it does earlier in the year. But um, I think that these numbers are moving in the correct direction. Uh, I don't, for either of these games, have a big edge projected for really either team, but my numbers are leaning at this point a little bit more towards Seattle uh, if the number is nine and a half or 10. And uh, I have this very close to a pick them in the Chargers mm -hmm. uh, and Jags game. And so that number opened actually at two and a half and very quickly moved to one and a half and then now fluctuating between the one, one and a half that we see in the market. So I think that line movement is correct, especially at this time of the year. I think uh, line movement uh, tends to be more accurate than not. Uh, and so 
I would say this is the market becoming increasingly efficient. And uh, given that there are only six games this week instead of 16, you know, people uh, earlier in the week are just starting to really hone in on the games. And I think action that we would maybe see Mm -hmm. on a Thursday, we're starting to see on a Tuesday. That's, uh, I think, a very astute observation there. I agree. So what happens. We also tend to overanalyze when we have more time and less things to do, which is another trap. So hopefully we'll avoid that. All right, let's get into the 4.30 p.m. game Eastern time. Again, 1.30 on the West Coast. You got the Seattle Seahawks who, you know, pulled themselves up by the haunches after uh, having kind of a nosedive in the last month of the season and kind of, you know, righted the ship at the very end. They're going to visit the uh, very hot San Francisco 49ers. So seven meets two here to kick off Saturday afternoon. Now the Niners have won 10 straight, including five in a row with rookie quarterback Brock Purdy. At some point, I always feel like in the playoffs, Brock Purdy is going to be called on to make a play. And that's when I want to really try to evaluate what Brock Purdy is going to be (laughs) for the San Francisco time uh, team and whether or not that's going to lead them further into the playoffs. Now, uh, we have the the spread right now, which is nine and a half on the uh, San Francisco side here, uh, hosting Seattle. And we have 43 and a half as the number. If you like Seattle for the upset in the money line, you're getting a really good number, plus 370 right now on betting pros. That's the consensus number. So, Jim, let's start with you here on this one. What's the value of this game here? What are you targeting in terms of the spread, in terms of the over-under? How do you see San Fran-Seattle? Yeah, I think this is a game where you can see it being a couple different ways. You can see Seattle winning. I think that's very fair, given that, um, you know, it's the NFL. A lot of weird stuff can happen. And and like, you know, like Matthew was saying, like my numbers do say that there's a bit of value in Seattle in terms of potentially winning this game. I wouldn't want to take the points, though, because you can see a lot of ways it spirals. And Mm -hmm. if I'm going to take on the potential for spiraling, I'd rather take the money line, take that more volatile market. It's a plus 385 at FanDuel. So I think that I'd rather just go that route, take the more volatile market rather than the spread, because you can envision it in your head. You can envision a Brock Purdy to George Kittle touchdown pass early on, and then Eli Mitchell, Christian McCaffrey grinding things out the entire rest of the way. And it can be a snowball effect. Seattle gets down. They just had a huge high, uh, high emotion game this past weekend. They get down, they can't rally. So I don't want to deal with the points here personally. I think that if you like Seattle, I would go with the money line instead. Obviously, scale your bets to properly account for the fact that it's a low probability outcome. 22% win odds for me. You want to make sure you're accounting for that. So I think that if we're talking about the the side, I'd rather go with the money line here and take Seattle there. I don't see any value in at San Francisco minus 500. I think that the if I am betting it'd be the Seattle money line. As far as a total, uh, it's at 42 and a half at FanDuel. I think that's low. Um, I've got this at 46.1 right now. There is some potential rain in this game out in Santa Clara, uh, which is worth monitoring. But the winds are low, seven miles per hour. That's not too bad. Nothing to worry about too much, and the rain doesn't appear to be overwhelming and again it kind of comes back to what i discussed you know you can see the 49ers moving the ball pretty well in this game and you can see a scenario where they are flirting with this over by themselves so i think to me the two best bets in this game right now are seattle money line and over uh 42 and a half i think both those showing some value and you don't have to tell yourself too crazy of a story to talk yourself at least for me into either of those and great point to bringing up the return of Eli Mitchell last week. Also, uh, his workload carving in a little bit to what CMC usually does, maybe a little fresher CMC for this round of the playoffs. That's certainly a good thing. And also somebody else that they can grind out clock if they do have a lead. That's huge. And not spend Christian McCaffrey too much if they are in a situation to advance. So you kind of like their 
potential going forward in these playoffs. Friedman, uh, when you're looking at the board here, where do you see the value? Once again, just to recap, nine and a half is the number, 43 and a half the over-under, and uh, the Seattle money line plus 370 in the consensus. Yeah, I have this projected at 9.25. And so it's not enough for me to to want to bet on Seattle in the spot. And to Jim's point, um, if I'm going to be taking a position here uh, on, on one of the teams, it probably would be the money line. But I just I think we're probably close enough to the market where I probably won't be doing that. And, you know, with all six of these games this week, they are rematches. And, you know, people talk about especially divisional opponents. It's really hard to beat a team three, uh, three games within a year. Like, you know, maybe, but. The fact is we, I don't know, it, I think this line is right. Uh, it's it's a market where the, the Seahawks um, against the spread, Pete Carroll going against Kyle Shanahan, their head-to-head record is 6-6. Six and six. Um, Divisional opponents tend to play tight. So I would think that this number feels probably close to correct, but given the chaos that we could see, Seattle would be the team I'd probably back on the money line, but I, I just, I don't want any part of it. I think this is going to be a kind of nasty game and in the projections for the total, I have it 44.6. So like Jim, I am leaning towards the over there and, you know, especially with this number, uh, you know, bumping down 42 and a half was 43. So 42, uh, 42 and a half, 43 across the market. I would be a little bit inclined to take the over. The thing is like my, uh, my lizard brain tends to look at trends (laughs) and I just, I know like at this point of the year, divisional games, those tend to play towards the under. And then especially even if you're not thinking of divisional opponents, but you're just thinking playoff football, a little more money in the market. People tend to bet the overs outdoor playoff games tend to hit the unders. Uh, And so I would just see in a vacuum how, okay, Seattle's defense, I think it is not that good. I can see how they Mm -hmm. allow a ton of points, but divisional matchup, outdoor game, the weather isn't horrible, but it's it's not an indoor game, and it's still uh, a rookie quarterback in Brock Purdy making his first start. And so maybe that San Francisco offense isn't quite as efficient as it has been to this point. I'm probably just staying away. But I got to say, Brock Purdy – he has been incredibly impressive. And, you know, to start with the the Garoppolo injury, I significantly downgraded the 49ers from that spot. I did like, too, in all fairness. I had shares yeah. of the 49ers that I had invested in as soon as Garoppolo took over. I think it like six to one to win the division or whatever it is and then go on to, you know, uh, to the Super Bowl. And I was loving that investment. And then when Garoppolo got down, I jumped the gun for sure. I, I'm sure like many people went, okay, this is going to get ugly real sad. But you, you mentioned Brock Purdy's been impressive. Do you think now that he is up to the task, though, Friedman, of let's say it is a tight game, let's say it is playing to the under, is he up to the task in your opinion from what you've seen to make that play that makes a difference? Because that is the difference between regular season football, even against in-division opponents, and playoff football. I mean, I'll just say I don't know. Like that's, that's the simplest. I don't think any of us know. And that's why I think you and Jim discussing the money line is so fascinating. Jim, you mentioned that as well. What you've seen out of Geno Smith, I'll turn the tables. Do you think Geno Smith, from what you've seen out of him all year, who has been called on that had no way? I mean, Brock Purdy's expectations were low. Geno Smith's might have been close this year. <laughs> like they were pretty, they were pretty low, yet he has put himself in that conversation for comeback player of the year. He has put his team in the playoffs. 
do you think Gino can make that spot? Because both of you guys have mentioned that that money line number on Seattle, that if it's close, you know, eventually it comes down to typically a quarterback making a play. Can Gino be that guy? He kind of did it already in that Rams game. And mm-hmm. I think that that was like, that game was not a good game from Gino. Um, he had that pretty bad pick right away. He didn't play well, but I think it was impressive that he stayed focused. Um, and he still had confidence late in that game. Cause you'll a lot of times see these like really fun runs for guys where they'll go on like a tear. And like Gino had that at the beginning of the year. And then, something goes wrong and it can kind of spiral, but he kind of locked back in and was able to rally them. Obviously the Rams are a much in their current state, a lesser defense than the 49ers. And that was a game that was in Seattle. Rams had effectively nothing to play for, whereas Gino had everything to play for. So it shouldn't have been that close of a game. But I think the fact that he was able to close it out still use his legs of it, which we hadn't seen a ton so far this year. I think that was interesting. I think that that's something to keep in mind for prop betting for this week is you will often see quarterbacks run a lot more in the postseason than regular season because everything's on the line. Mm-hmm. And I think that could be intriguing for Gino because I wouldn't be like, I I think that if I were Seattle, I'd drop some, you know, design quarterback runs for this game. Mm-hmm. Gino looked fast in that Rams game. So I think that, I think he can live up to the task. I think that it helps when he has guys like DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. It's weird to talk about DK Metcalf as a veteran because we're all very old now. Um, But like (laughs) he's been around for a long time. Lockett's been around for a super long time. I think that's all super beneficial. Pete Carroll has tons of experience. So I think that I have faith in Gino as like a person, but also I think the infrastructure around him is good enough to give me some faith in them as well. Great points there. Uh, some, ahead, thoughts, some thoughts on, on Gino here. And, um, you know, and thinking about the comparison to Brock Purdy, Gino was like absolutely fantastic in the first half of the season. And, you know, weeks one through 10, 17 touchdowns, only four interceptions, over a 72% completion mm-hmm. percentage, 8.3 adjusted yards per attempt since the bye. And it's not like just like that clean of a split. There have been other things to go into it. Uh, Tyler Lockett being injured, but we have not seen uh, Geno Smith perform at nearly the same level. His completion percentage has dropped down to 66%. Touchdown to interception ratio, 13 to 7, uh, 6.9 adjusted yards per attempt. Like he's been uh, a, he's been an uh, above average. It's like slightly above average quarterback since the bye, but he hasn't been like the earth shaker that he was to start the year. And, you know, Brock Purdy, he has been absolutely amazing. Like, uh, you know, like Hall of Fame, like legendary <laughs> type of like start of a career, right? Uh, 9.9 adjusted yards per attempt in his five starts. And so, Joe, you asked the question, like, could Brock Purdy do it? If he's in that situation, you know, like two minutes, drive his team down the field. I think a lot of what we have seen out of Brock Purdy to this point is a function of the Shanahan offense. And that's not to say that Purdy hasn't executed it uh, nearly to perfection because he has, but a lot of it has been within the structure of the offense executing what he's been asked to do and Shanahan going like deep in his bag of scheming guys open. And Mm -hmm. again, this doesn't mean that Brock Purdy isn't talented because he was a great prospect for the NFL in the first two years of his career at Iowa state. It's just in years three and four, 
he kind of right. stagnated. And so and I it's also like, not a prolific throwing offense. Either, right. Historically, you know, they so like I feel like, ball play defense. I feel like that's pretty representative of who he is, like a guy who early in his college career showed that there's a lot of NFL potential there, mm-hmm. but someone who didn't develop. And so maybe with Shanahan, he actually could develop into the guy that point. we saw early on at, at Iowa State. But where he is right now in his career, I don't think that he really has the I'm not sold that he is the guy with two minutes left. Shanahan can't scheme things open for him. It's just Purdy out there on the field needing to do it on his own. I'm not sold that Purdy can do it. That doesn't mean he can't because what he has shown us up to this point has been amazing. It just Mm. means that he hasn't shown that he can do it at this point in the NFL. Can I take a way of rephrasing that? It's not investable yet. Yeah. This is betting pros, right? So it's something that's really tough to invest in at this point. Whereas Gino has been in the league a little bit longer. I always feel like the, the the teams with nothing to lose, like the Seahawks have nothing. I mean, they were not supposed to be here. They were like Dante from Clerks. They were just not supposed to be here today. They were supposed to be at home, hanging out, playing hockey. And instead, now they're in the playoffs. And to me, those teams are always very dangerous. San Francisco has expectations. And I think Shanahan's got a little pressure too, because this is a team that has gotten to the mountaintop almost and fallen short a few years. So I feel like there's a little bit of pressure here. He gets a pass because he's on his third quarterback in a season. So he's going to get a pass regardless. But at the same time, there's no way, I think mentally, there isn't a little bit of pressure here on the San Francisco 49ers and on Shanahan as well. All right, let's move forward to the next game here because I'm looking forward. This is the fresh blood of the NFL here. These are two young quarterbacks. Everybody's handsome, has long hair, uh, something that the three of us on this show know very little about. Uh, and, and you're in a spot where I'm really looking forward to this. I'm a huge Trevor Lawrence fan. I always have been. Uh, and despite suffering a, a tough week 18 loss to Denver, LA is, is in this. And I, and I know people are pissed off at Staley for playing guys. But, you know, considering last year, the way they took their foot off the gas and ended up missing the playoffs – I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to get the Chargers to get on track and play hard and have some momentum going in. Did it work out? No. Was it worth a try? I think so. But let's talk about the numbers because that's what matters here. Both of these teams are going to uh, be heading into the playoffs for the first time quarterbacks again for Herbert and for uh, our good pal uh, on the program here, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Jacksonville 9-8, and eight, Chargers 10-7. and seven. Right now, this number is sitting at 2.5. The Chargers are favored, which seems like – just a huge trap to me, Jim. Uh, just a huge, enormous, like it's, it's, and it's like not even a good trap. It's like a trap that, <laughs> you know, you see it in like a bad Wiley e. Coyote cartoon where he's dug this enormous hole and he's put this huge, you know, carpet over it and it's got a sign with bird seed right there in the middle of it. So let's start there. Let's start with the, uh, the money line for this game too, which is you getting Jacksonville to plus 110 on the consensus. As you said, that's moved as well. And you're getting 47 as the over-under. Jim, what are your thoughts on this game between Jacksonville and the Chargers in Jacksonville? Yes, we've seen this number move towards the Jags. And, you know, obviously you want to get the best number. You want to get in before that movement occurs. So you may be listening to this and be like, I might have missed my boat. But (laughs) I still think there's value in the Jags if we ignore where the market opened. Um, Because if you ignore the fact that it opened to two and a half, opened uh, with the money line being plus money, it's no longer there. If you just told me it opened at minus 104 in the Jags money line, I'd be like, let's go. Like, I think that's still a lot of value because I have two separate models I use uh, for for betting. And 
the better one, the one that's worked out, uh, has been more successful recently, has the Jags favored by 3.96 points, which is a lot. Um, it is the biggest error I've seen in a playoff game in a long time. Um, mm. So it's, 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 I don't deviate from the market that much typically in playoff games, but here we are. Uh, so 3.96, the Jags are favored. So you're like, okay, that model's too high in the Jags. It weights up uh, passing efficiency. It might penalize the Chargers for a lot of stuff. So we turn to the second model. What do you see there? Jags favored by 3.5. So <laughs> in both models, the Jags are favored by more than a field goal. Does that make me uncomfortable? Yeah, obviously. They never they haven't okay. been here since the Blake Bortles year, I don't think. So 2017, Oof. you know, they were cooking uh the AFC championship game, stuff like that. But I don't disagree, despite the fact it might feel really weird. I don't think it's totally wrong because this Chargers team is infuriating with how dependent they are on hero ball and laid downs. They put Justin Herbert in <laughs> awful situations and expect him to bail them out. And he does. He's awesome. But like is that sustainable? We saw that in the Raiders game in week 18 last year, where they were trying to rally for that tie. And Herbert, again, or time after time after time, gets them huge conversions and laid downs and eventually gets it to overtime in that game. They shouldn't have been there. They they should not have gotten there if they didn't have a freakazoid quarterback and Justin Herbert. Um, but you can't put a guy in a hole that often, purposely, it seems like, and expect him to dig you out every time. So I actually think it's okay to have the Jags favored here. They have been... A, a a productive passing offense for the entire season. They're facing a Chargers team that, you know, Mike Williams sounds like he'll go, but, you know, we don't know about Joey Bosa. Like, there are some mm -hmm. question marks on both sides of the Chargers team. If I assume both those guys are in right now, I show value in the Jags, which means if they get ruled out, there'd be even more value. So I think even though this is moved towards the Jags, you kind of miss the boat a bit. I still think there is value in the Jags in this game. Joe, I, I gotta, I gotta ask yeah. you a question here. I, oh, I gotta ooh. ask the guest a question. It. Oh yeah, uh, Jim. So, in in the models, and I don't want to like dig too far into the weeds, but um, what kind of goes into your model? So, I'm assuming that it's it's based on some of the historical data of what we've seen out of the Chargers to this point in the year. And so, my question would be, if a lot of that data is no longer representative because let's say Mike Williams was out for a chunk of that time. Keenan Allen was out for a chunk of that time. They were missing some players on defense. So if it's based on uh, data that isn't representative, I guess the question is, is it based on data that might not be representative? It's tweaked. Um, uh -huh. So okay. basically it's, um, I have like the full season numbers here. And then I look at what their numbers were and their splits with the guys who are healthy. Okay. So with both, it's a small sample, which means right. you're kind of, you're not taking that sample at face value. You're looking at what the numbers say and the gains they've had, Joey Bosa, and then adjusting like, okay, is this representative of what you should expect? Because like for some teams, they will be worse when their star players are active, which is not logical. So you're still going to bump them up for those guys. You just kind of use it as like a guiding light to decide which direction to go. Now with the Chargers, I have their passing offense as being like a step below what I'd expect with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams because Mike Williams is not fully healthy. Even if yeah. he plays, he's banged up. So it, they are tweaked from their like baseline uh, to account for that because they've been playing without Mike Williams for long stretches, without Keenan Allen. Um, but then uh, the defensive side, having Bosa back does definitely help them. So those are uh, factored in. It is a manual adjustment, which means uh -huh. I could be underweighting those guys, but it is a factored in there. Well, with all the adjustments being made, I think one adjustment we all have to also keep in mind is let's talk about the adjustment that the Jacksonville Jaguars defense has made lately. Uh, they have allowed just 22 points combined in the last three games. Now, I know we can talk about 
some of the quarterback play, perhaps they were going against, that's fair, but they're also getting to the quarterback quite a bit, regardless of who that quarterback is. They have at least two sacks in every game since week 13, and in two games, three, and in two games, four. They are getting to the quarterback. You put pressure on the quarterback, good things happen. You could tell because you're also seeing interception numbers here along those lines when you look at the defensive numbers for the Jacksonville Jaguars. As much as we're all talking about the quarterbacks and talking about the offenses, and that's what probably the national media wants to focus on, me being the nerd for defense that I am, I kind of want to talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars defense and what they can do in this game to stop Austin Eckler, but also put pressure on Justin Herbert and try to force some mistakes here, Friedman. That is the angle I keep coming up to whenever I'm talking about this game. We're all wrapped up in the quarterbacks. They're fun. They're exciting. They're young. They're the future of the NFL. But defense wins championships. And the Jacksonville Jaguars defense has been pretty good lately. What are your thoughts on this game? Where do you see the value? The Jags defense, uh, it's inconsistent. It's it's volatile. So wide range True. of outcomes with them. You know, like, and I think it's hard to predict game to game, matchup to matchup, what version of the Jags defense is going to show up. Uh, because sometimes you would think, oh, like they have a really good matchup in this spot and then they don't do what it is you think that they would do given the talent that they have. But they they are an emerging defense. Yes. They, do have, they do have talent, especially on the defensive line. Uh, and, you know, going against an offensive line in the Chargers that is also inconsistent – uh, you could see some you could see some pressure there. The thing with Herbert is that he is he has become very good, especially this season, at compensating for the deficiencies of his offensive line. He does not take many sacks, and that's not because his offensive line is good. It's just because he has been able to get rid of the ball pretty quickly. And and that does speak, I think, a little bit to the uh, some of the inefficiencies of the the offense for the Chargers in terms of why it is it they're not pushing the ball down the field a little bit more on early downs, um, but at least Herbert hasn't been taking a lot of sacks and they are in situations where they're able to extend drives. One thing I'll, I'll just say. Uh, I do have this close to a pick but I have the Chargers as slight favorites. But there are some things that do point towards the Jags. And these are these are like small edges, but they they do kind of add up a little bit. Uh, so one thing that is in the Jags' favor, uh, this is a primetime game, and uh, we do have um, – their coach, uh, Doug Peterson, has historically been good in primetime spots. We don't have that for the Chargers. Uh, another thing, the Chargers traveling across the country. Uh, and so, like, that time zone difference is another thing with the team traveling west to east. Uh, mm. And then one more thing, you do have a slight rest advantage, a one-day rest advantage for the uh, the Jags in that they played last Saturday, whereas the Chargers played on Sunday. And so they're, you know, playing with only six days of rest. So there are these small edges that I do account for in my model. And, like, any one of them isn't that big of a thing. But, like, the three of them together, and it's like, yeah, this puts it pretty close to a pick But I still have the Chargers as the slightest of favorites. Uh, I think the over – might be a spot that is slightly intriguing to me. I haven't bet on this game uh, or the the other game. I haven't taken a position yet, but uh, the the total right now is, I believe, 47 and a half. Uh, and I have this projected at 48 and a half. So I, I do think that there is some uh, some value there, uh, but not enough to make me want to jump on it at this point. I kind of want to mm-hmm. see a little bit where the numbers go. One other thing, obviously, you know, we talked about the quarterbacks in the last game. Let's talk about the coaches in this one, too, because 
Jim, you've got a coach in Doug Peterson who has taken a team to the Super Bowl and to a victory over a Patriots team coached by Bill Belichick. Preparation is important. Uh, I think it's always tough for you know young coaches to you know learn on the fly. Sometimes we see magical things happen at sports, but at the same time, experience does matter, and preparation for understanding what these teams have to do in this spot matters too. Is that an advantage, in your opinion? It's not going to show up in the stat sheet necessarily, but is that an advantage of the Jacksonville Jaguars people should consider when making investments in this game? Yeah, I don't consider it too much. I think the bigger thing I'm considering is like, which Brandon Staley do we see? Like, do we see <laughs> the 2022 Brandon Staley has been kind of a coward um, in terms of like aggressiveness? Ooh. Or do we see the 2021 guy who was like freewheeling? Like, hey, I've got a superstar quarterback. Let's use him. I don't know. I don't think he knows which version we'll see either because it seems like he... Yeah, but did we see that version because of all the wide receiver injuries? Because we maybe. didn't have Keenan Allen, and because we didn't have Mike Williams for so much of the season? Was it just maybe just the pulling in the reins? Because let's just focus because on trying to yeah. Well, because of what you don't have, not so much yeah. what you what you do. Maybe um, I would I would hope to so because I want to see. I'd rather watch Justin Herbert than a punt. So like I'd rather see a more aggressive <laughs> version. But like I can't guarantee that I'll that we'll see a more aggressive version of Brandon Staley. So I think that's kind of more what I'm interested in is because that could relate to the total as well. If they're going to go be aggressive, go for touchdowns versus field goals, that only not only changes like could push you towards the over, but also changes like key numbers and the way you want to bet this game in that regard as well. So. I don't know. I think I think the bigger factor for me is whether Brandon Staley continues to be a coward or if we see like the the last year version of him again, if we assume that everyone's fully healthy and I can't I can't assume Mike Williams is fully healthy. I can assume a play, but I can't assume he's fully healthy. And I think that's kind of the mm -hmm. reason I'm hesitant to be super jazzed about the the Chargers in this game. All right. Any final thoughts here, Friedman? I always see. I can tell your mind is always going here on the program. You're looking at things. Final thoughts here on the Jags game before we close out today's show. Yeah, there was one more small edge for the Jags that I missed and that the Chargers are playing their second straight road game. And so, like, if you took away all of those mm -hmm. little edges that I mentioned, then my number would be exactly where the market is right now at, like, one or one and a half. But because of those edges, I do have the slightest lean towards the Jags, uh, who I have projected at .25 underdogs. All right. For more, you can always go to bettingpros.com and check out our prop bet cheat sheet too as the props start coming in for these games. All of it right there in front of you. What the biggest variance is, where to bet it. I mean, we're doing the work for you, so go check it out at bettingpros.com. Go check out Jim Sanis too. It's incredible work. Jim, you're the you're the top of the board, baby. You're the one one. I always love talking football with you, man. So grateful for your time. You follow him on the Twitter machine at Jim Sanis. Check out his work at Number Fire and at FanDuel. And of course, you can follow him on Twitter there. That'll do it for us. But the story of the game goes on for Jim and Matthew Friedman. I'm Joey P. We'll see you next time, kids.